everybody welcome back to thoughts and prayers um we have a special really special guest with us today um we have jack the perfume nationalist with us hi jack hi thanks for having me welcome yeah we're excited to have you jack and i met uh really briefly at icarus fest i guess how long ago was that now four or five weeks ago so yeah it feels like it was like a million years ago but it was actually only the beginning of june because that was like uh, that was like the first week the idol was on yeah i only just now finished it so (laughs) yeah you were um i liked i went to your live taping and you were you brought up the idol quite a bit and you also brought up which uh felt very vindicating for me how much you liked blonde um, mm-hmm. which was a fight that I was having on Twitter because we, d- we did a blonde episode and a lot of people um, responded that they hated blonde after that. Well, that's, but- that's just like, there's no debating. Like, you just have to be retarded and have no taste if you don't understand that blonde is good. Like, there's no, <laughs> there's no like, debating that. <laughs> it's I- it's I- obviously, that was my thought when it came out. It was just like, yeah, okay, this brilliant, shining meteor was dropped down on Netflix into everyone's house, and it's a test of whether you have good taste or not, or can understand what art is or not, and, uh, like, everyone failed. Um, because I-, I think the big problem there was that Zoomers and, like, libtards and, like, young people, it's been through so many, like, phases of wokeness later that people don't understand the purpose of art or movies. And they think that if something upsets them, then it's a flaw in the movie. They think that the purpose of the art is this utopian propaganda vehicle that's supposed to like not disturb them or emotionally excite them in any way. And Blonde was just like, you know, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me or something. It wouldn't have caused anyone to raise an eyebrow if it had come out in 2002. Well, I don't even remember, like, what was the controversy about? That's, uh, it's anti-abortion. And it's, it shows her, like, getting fucked and stuff. You can't show women naked or getting fucked. Also, it's uh, a sensitive thing for Fonus, Marilyn Monroe, because she, for many decades, has been this kind of like academic symbol for feminists of like, what if the hottest girl ever were actually smart underneath <laughs> and just wanted to read Ulysses? And that's like bullshit. Like, I'm sure the real Marilyn Monroe was what you see in that movie, which is kind of like a needy slob. Was she supposed yeah. to be smart? <laughs> the movie yeah, that's, the, I mean, Somebody, you can probably track this to like one particular academic essay that was influential in the 80s or something. But yeah, it's like a Marilyn Monroe is this big feminist thing. Uh, They pretend that she was fat too. Like they go, oh, the healthy plus size sex symbols of yesteryear before the starved anorexics of today. Um, The rail thin anorexics of today. And Marilyn Monroe was like this big, you know, tiny. Yeah, she was a. The, the I, sizes I, were different. <laughs> sizes were different. I remember reading she would have been like a size four in like today's dress 
like dress sizes and the average yeah, feminist like pretending that she would she was like like cat and euphoria or something <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah well let's uh let's that kind of easily transitions us because i want to talk about the idol have you seen the idol a yet uh, no okay so jack and i will take the lead on this but i watched uh i want but you've seen the discourse around it so yes can, yeah and i've seen like this whatever screenshots and whatever but yeah no I, i'm yeah the discourse the around it is a repeat of what they did with blonde totally like they it's it's a specific tactic of uh liberal critics and journalists and they use the same thing and set up this uh this uh, kind of predisposition of negativity and stigma around it long before it ever actually aired. Yeah, I agree. Um, I guess, you know what, I mean, so overall, Jack, I'll ask you, like, I'll ask you, do you, did you like it overall? That's kind of a reductive question, but like, would you say that you enjoyed the experience of watching it? Uh, Yeah, I thought it was fantastic. Um, It's very clear what it was trying to do. I mean, the whole thing is a mockery of Me Too and a mockery of all of the uh, like Byzantine puritanical liberal tropes that have become established in media regarding uh, female nudity, rapiness, uh, people of color, uh, how you're supposed to depict women, all of this. It's like, it's a very deliberate troll against all of that. And I mean, before in any, huh? I was just going to say it starts with them locking the intimacy coordinator in the bathroom, and I think that's the most brilliant thing in the whole, in the whole series. Still, is uh, because most people, like a general audience, still doesn't know what an intimacy coordinator is. A general audience who doesn't really follow movies probably doesn't know that movies don't have sex scenes or female nudity, eroticized female nudity in them anymore. Um, so that uh, mockery of the intimacy coordinator, which is this sort of made-up HR career that's popped up in the wake of Me Too, they depict it as a man, but it's all women doing it. Um, they depict it as he's. He, I mean, I guess he's a man, but he sort of has like a yeah, it's kind of vibe. He has yeah. like a non-binary vibe, I would say. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he's one of several. Um, sinister trans operatives on the show yes Uh, (laughs) yeah they use hari neff as this sinister trans journalist uh like uh, gossip monger who um is not depicted positively but not depicted in an offensive manner that like people like a casual audience would notice um, but yeah, in the very first scene, they set up what they're doing, uh, which is the girl who's like skinny and hot is like taking her top off. And then this intimacy coordinator comes in and talks about all the con the contracts and paperwork they have to do before she can show her nipples. And so they shut the intimacy coordinator and lock him in the bathroom. Yeah. I thought that conversation was really funny too, because she comes over, this is Lily Rose Depp. And she's like, am I not allowed to show my nipples? And he's like, well, not in the human rights, like broader worldly sense, of course you're allowed to, but in this specific context, you're actually 
not allowed to. And then she's kind of like, well, it's my house. They're my nipples. Like I want to show them. Um, and that whole back and forth dialogue I thought was just really like kind of revealing. I, I have friends who've worked with intimacy coordinators, like, cause I know some actors um, and it can almost be a little weirder than uh, kind of intuitively doing what feels natural in an acting scene with like your partner you know what I mean? Oh, I have no doubt that it's a lot weirder. It's it's a legal protection. Um, right. Because uh, everyone just says that they were raped on set for attention now. So it's just a legal protection, which they have to pretend is, you know, some kind of larger moral <laughs> thing. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess we could just, I, I don't know, how do you, I want to take it... Um, we'll just kind of like move through parts that we both found interesting. I thought one thing I thought that was interesting about the discourse that I didn't see come up and maybe you saw it came up, come up was the fact that the weekend is black and Lily Rose Depp is white. um, And he's kind of like until the very last episode depicted as this sort of sexual menace over her. But I didn't see a lot of like racial critiques, which I kind of like thought would pop up really fast because because he doesn't seem black. He seems like <laughs> I mean, isn't he like not even actually black? I don't right? know. What you're, you're I don't right. know about him, but isn't yeah. he like Tunisian or something? I don't know. I don't know the race stuff, but he doesn't seem black. He's very deliberately styled into this kind of like uh, Michael Jackson. Right. Sort of essentially covered up pretty sexless character um, that never does any nudity. Brett Easton Ellis brought up the racial stuff that they're like uh, villainously depicted black characters. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just looking it up because I was curious. He's, I guess he is Ethiopian descent, but he was born in Toronto, which I feel like is a pretty big, like. That doesn't sound black to me. That sounds, <laughs> yeah. That doesn't, know. that doesn't read as like American black. It's sort of like yeah. Drake. I feel like people. And you can tell because he has pussy energy. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't think like some people were like, he pivoted and like when, once he saw the early reviews, he pivoted to say the character was supposed to be a joke, but I don't think there's any way that you could uh, see the last episode and kind of see the arc of the story and not think that they deliberately were setting him up to kind of be this like cucked kind of like mocked character throughout the whole thing. That was my thoughts on his, his whole. Um, I don't know that my, I don't know enough about him to uh, say what he thinks he was doing there, but I know what Sam Levinson was doing, which is, uh, what all of these based HBO shows are doing, which is um, injecting red scare derived Twitter discourse into narrative TV shows. Yeah, I mean that's what I meant. Like the writer, like I think Sam Levison and The Weekend essentially. There, there. I don't think there was a writers' room. I think they essentially wrote it together. But Sam, but like the final reveal that she like brings him on stage, and you know she's some kind of mastermind who was lying about being abused for attention and um she they were all of his people all of the talent and all of the work was his that she stole from him um and you have that great scene at the end of all the executives gloating about how they ruined him in this very right. glib way um and then she kisses him and brings him on stage and asserts this kind of eternal romance which is in keeping with the 
the uh, troll message of the show, which is that uh, art is only created by men with dark sexual energies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Lily Rose Depp was supposed to be like super Machiavellian in that sense, right? Yeah. Like, like we were supposed to believe that she like knew from the beginning that she was going to sort of like co-opt this guy's like posse of talented you know, hot people. We're supposed to believe that, but the whole uh, cynical weaponizing of Me Too uh, runs through the whole thing. I mean, from the very start of the show, you have them talking about uh, these sort of, like, sexual assault traumas as narrative spins that they're going to choose. Uh, you know, yeah, and they're I saying she's going to be a victim or she's going to be an empowered feminist or you know yeah i didn't mean to interrupt you jock i'm sorry i was just sit that you went to the exact line i was thinking of where they go uh i need her to i need you to work her up from victim to <laughs> to feminist yeah. one within the next like couple of news cycles because uh i guess for the listeners who didn't let who didn't watch it an early scene is there's a picture of her with cum on her face uh she gets a facial i guess and it gets released onto twitter um, and you see her kind of whole like apparatus of like managers and assistants kind of try to spin it into some sort of me too type narrative. Um, mm. yeah. So, yeah. Um, my, the biggest surprise to me, which wasn't really a surprise, uh, was how incredibly tame all the much discussed sex stuff was. Like, this wouldn't have caused anyone to raise an eyebrow in 1999. No. <laughs> you know, basically until, like, 2009, no one would have raised an eyebrow at this. Because it, the whole brouhaha around it was so coordinated and fake. Like, before it came out, there was just this, that big, like, Rolling Stone article... Uh, which very deliberately implied that um, there was some sort of chaotic, uh, toxically masculine working environment on the set, which everyone knows is bullshit. <laughs> this is a huge budget HBO show with all the, you know, women, uh, intimacy coordinators, whatever. But Rolling Stone did this thing of like kind of sell, setting this narrative up that like oh that's a bad show where people were abused like so you just kind of think that even though it's just complete nonsense and jane adams from todd salon's happiness came out and said fuck you feminists like it was, it was pretty awesome because she's she's had this long career and as far as i've known she's never said anything publicly <laughs> like she's been in everything as this character actor but she came out and said people are more mad about this than about happiness and uh, pointed out how ridiculous it was that they were pretending that this was some kind of like um, abusive, weird situation on set just because certain seething liberals disapproved of the content and the message. Well, yeah, I, I mean, always want, well, go ahead, go, well, I was just going to say, like, for, like, what I always wonder with this stuff is like, is this g genuine backlash? Or is it just part of essentially like the marketing, the promotional campaign for the series? 
Because that's what, like, I, I started to notice this, not to say this was the first instance, but, like, I, I noticed this specifically starting with one of these, like, Dave Chappelle comedy specials where I literally hadn't even heard of it. And, like, I, you know, I'm whatever. I came of age during Chappelle's show and whatever. I like Dave Chappelle, fine. I feel like I would be someone who would be, like, interested if he released a new special. But I did not hear of it uh, except for all these stories coming out about, oh, it's transphobic. It's, you know, it's the controversy surrounding it. And it just kind of got me thin. And then now it's like you see that like constantly. It's like every release of some new thing is framed in terms of like how controversial it is and how much backlash it's generating, you know? I don't think they deliberately set that up or that they have to. It obviously works in their favor uh because in the current uh swamp of so much streaming content um getting people to talk about one show visibly is a lot of work um i don't think there's someone sitting in an office saying okay our plan is to uh get a negative rolling stone article from a libtard written saying that this is a fascist rape show they don't have to like the libs are going to do that anyway but (laughs) it will make people watch it um and uh i thought the same thing about blonde um and there was a certain tawdriness to the promotion of that which i kind of enjoyed because they gave it the nc-17 rating which they never use anymore so (laughs) it gave it this like everything has been unrated on streaming for 10 years. Every HBO show would be NC 17 a million times over in the old rating system. Um, but they gave that the NC 17 rating just as this kind of like scarlet letter of like, there's something really forbidden here. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a mix of the two, but the sort of viral libtard uh, meme hatred that you see swarming around online about stuff like this that's decided to be bad and have a bad message uh that's self-generating that's the borg from star trek the next generation it's just this kind of like hive mind thing um what really chilled me to the bone was you know the whole time the idol was airing there would be those little like pop craze kind of like fluff article things every day about how how scandalous it was and then finally when it came out that there was only one more episode and it was ending after that i saw this like flurry of trannies underneath that they were like we did it we did it (laughs) and the you know there's libtards use this tone where they talk as this collective we when they like think that they got something uh anti-liberal or like bad in some way, like can't taken off the air because of their complaints on Twitter. We did this. <laughs> that is, yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to go back for a minute to like how tame the sex scenes were because so tame. I, was, I was thinking about Secretary, which came out. I mean, when did Maggie Gyllenhaal do Secretary? Like that had to have been like- It's like 2005. 2005. Or yeah, like early 2000s. And like, I thought about how much more I guess like violating a few of the scenes are in in that movie um and compared to like the idol which was like all incredibly um 
Like, I feel like even the one scene where she gets spanked with the brush, she, like, verbally consents. Like, she, like, affirmatively consents. It's so like, tame, dude. Yeah, it's like, you there's no, You don't see a bit? Like, it would have been interesting if you saw whatever the weekend's body is under that, but he is clearly some kind of, like, self-styled Michael Jackson freak that doesn't want his body seen. Um, uh, but... The thing about HBO sex scenes, and this goes back even to like girls and, you know, 10 years ago, is that they have a certain antiseptic cleanliness to them because everyone's actual genitals are like cordoned off in those little cock socks or, you know, with the little bandage that goes over their pussy. You're never going to actually see anything. You're never (laughs) going to actually see balls dangling down like you would in every 70s movie it's you know they're pantomiming the motions she's like rubbing this like uh you know highball glass on her padded pussy but (laughs) it's just and like even her nudity like she's you know nude so much of the time and they made such a big deal of this but she's a model and it doesn't even register as nudity. Like, you know how, like, when Kate Moss is naked, you just, no one even notices? Kate Moss is naked everywhere. She's a model. Like, it's just this kind of, like, artistic thing. It doesn't seem like, you know, this, like, sleazy proposition, like, when, like, you know, jailbait Lindsay Lohan and her big boob, you know? It's just like, okay, that's like a skinny model with little bee-stung nipples. This is not... You know, jugs on parade. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, people like freaked. I mean, people freaked out when Lena Dunham did all that nudity, who was like famously only like ten pounds over like the normal weight when she was in Girls. Yeah, they were mad about that because uh, it was this kind of exhibitionist performance art nudity intended to make people really mad, and what they thought it was, and what it was erroneously classified by as in the press was like this body positive feminist statement but um it was it was just this performance art exhibitionism and you see this in the way that it evolves throughout the show uh where like by season two she's just like walking around the streets of new york with no pants on it's like surreal (laughs) the only other thing i kind of uh wanted to bring up about the idol i guess is um the cult aspect which also felt really sanitized to me um they do have like the singular like twink torture scene with troy savan non-sexual uh, torture scene where they yeah, don't do like, anything yeah like nothing really even that bad happens to him. oh is that boy this troy savan the name oh that yeah I've you seen? realize so that no, i don't know who that is Okay, it's the same boy who did the like rush music video that everyone got really mad about. It's the same. He's a white gay. I don't want to be cornered into defending this twink just because he's a white gay. Uh, but um, he is a white gay. Yeah, that's him. Okay, yeah, not I'm not into not into whatever that is, especially not him singing. Um, but yeah, he gets like. Like, God, this is child's play. The big black guy comes up and he's like tied up on the couch and they can't even have him like rape the twink or something. Are you kidding me? He's drenched in urine and they, <laughs> like, they don't even do anything. He just gets sponged off. Now I'm realizing how cucked the idol is. Now I hate it. 
I know it was so true. It's like for a show <laughs> that everyone was so worried about rape happening in, it's like it couldn't have been. never. Everybody's like, I can sit. They won't even like. They try to do a thing about that, uh, like free spirited redhead cult member being seventeen, and they won't even say the word seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> they say civet, you know, like just. Just as if the suggestion of 17 is just so shockingly young. You know, it's just wild how careful they are. That character uh, really annoyed me with her uh, free-spirited piano playing and her, like, uh, I don't I don't ever like when there's a young girl playing piano <laughs> and you're supposed to recognize her talent. That's a good take. I like that. I mean, I liked the 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 person I really liked in it. I did like Divine, whatever her name was, the black woman, the big black woman. Is that a man or a woman? A woman, I think. That's a real woman? This woman, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know, because they put that woman, I think, in Bros. Uh, did you see Bros? I did go see Bros in theaters. Uh, and and she was, you know, the, like, black voice of, like, being right about everything to the white gay. So I assumed it was just a man in a dress. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I don't know. Maybe I just maybe assume everyone who's, like, shown as being right about everything in contrast to a white person is trans. I mean, it's interesting that people thought the, um, okay, let's see, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it seems like she's cis. They usually mention it in the early life part of yeah. Wikipedia. Well, you wouldn't know because the, they, you know, there's a whole army scrubbing those Wikipedia articles. <laughs> Maybe that, that, in, that's though. the that you know nothing. The infrastructure of America doesn't work at all anymore. I just had to drive four hours to renew my driver's license in Texas because you have to get appointments now. Uh, oh, but wow. the author's name on the graphic novel "Blue Is the Warmest Color." Uh, was immediately the dead name was removed like that, but you know, yeah, we have our priorities here. Oh, bluest, warmest color. Yeah, I like received. Yeah. I last I heard that was written by a lesbian, and then I ordered a copy because we were talking about it on my show, and I received it, and it said Jewel Marone, and I thought, oh, I know what's happening here. Interesting. Yeah, they just burned all the dead name copies. Wow. <laughs> I actually fire. <laughs> One thing I liked about Hari Neff's character in The Idol, though, is that at the, at the bare minimum, they didn't really, like... Like, she was kind of, like, sinister, right? Like, they didn't, like... They weren't trying to, like, uh, do, like, a... I guess they did a little bit of, like, the, oh, she's, like, a good trans, like... Person. No, that was sinister. That's, there's plausible deniability there, but it was clearly intended to be a sinister journalist... Uh, you know, utilizing this Me Too story for their own profit. Um, that's how that's how I read it too. I yeah. I agree they didn't go as hard as they could have, but I was like actually proud that they let a like trans character like do some like bad things or something. I doubt Hari Neff is aware that she was a villain in this. Probably, you know, thinks she was the star of it. <laughs> well, she just had her big Barbie moment too. Really. Uh, you didn't know she was in Barbie? I mean... I don't even know who this I just person is. I to forget so. things, I guess. I love, I love that A doesn't even know who she is, and Jack doesn't know. Yeah, she's like a it's main... It's a dime... The, the, you know, one of the, like, dime square people who gets little roles in HBO shows and oh. movies because... I thought she was kind of, like... Hands. 
I thought she was kind of pre-Dime Square because I remember when I was at Columbia, Hari Neff uh, for grad school, Hari Neff was um, also at Columbia at the same time. And back then she was still a gay man who did like nightclub like performances and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a scene stir that's been around for a a hipster that's been around for a long time. uh, And... I haven't seen it, but I gather that they cast her on Transparent in the later seasons when they um, uh, removed the problematic white man from it. So. That, that, is, that is how she started getting like more out of just like a New York hipster kind of like scene famous. Um, but anyway, yeah, she's in Barbie. I'll just say that. They don't actually call her trans Barbie, which I think is funny because... They go through all the other Barbies and give them like a title, but they don't give Hari enough trans Barbie. So I don't know. But she's in there. Because <laughs> trans people have so many other aspects to their personalities besides being trans, you know? And yeah, besides talking about themselves. Wait, so He's what's the deal with the cult aspect of this show? All right, so the cult aspect of this is, so they, like, reference Manson a few times, but, like, don't really make any effort to really, like, show a charles manson type thing i think they're just trying to like sprinkle in the idea of a cult around they also mentioned sharon tate they, they, they drop in a few like weird like cults. so it wasn't it sounds like it wasn't really that much like fleshed out as far it just it's it was a really tame cult they kind of really the weekend kind of comes in and sort of like fingers them for a minute it's like <laughs> you sing real good you're gonna sing real good now think about think about when you got raped you're gonna sing real good now and that's what he does okay. and you know the think channeling your like rape energy as you've got as you get fingered by the weekend is supposed to give you this like real authentic uh <laughs> sexuality to your work okay and it does for them because it works and she becomes oh. the idol I never knew that. That is actually literally what happens. That that seems to be to yeah, all the sex is this kind of little like <laughs> flicking the bean kind of. <laughs> yeah, he oh, sort of man. fingers them while they sing to bring out their like true <laughs> talents. Like, but yeah, they don't. It's supposed to be funny too because it's taking like a lot. It's taking clear inspiration from erotic thrillers, which are very in right now as a topic of discussion because they're on PC because the whole genre is about. 80s anxiety about women in the workplace okay and uh like they have the girls watching basic instinct in the first episode yeah yeah um everybody loves erotic thrillers right now so they uh, you know a lot of the kind of like more uh like grayons brained critiques of this were like that it's unintentionally funny no it's clearly supposed to be funny when you are doing these like billowing curtains, Skinamax sort of softcore scenes where they're smoking misty cigarettes in 2023. That's supposed to be funny. <laughs> like, she does have those misty cigarettes, which I because <laughs> I thought they were cute. Um, anyway, yeah, the cult isn't really fleshed out. You don't understand really how it formed or like why it formed or like what control he has over these people. But he's supposed to sort of be a cult leader who has this like kind of preternatural. I never know how to say that word. I, I only see it written preternatural. down. Preternatural. Preternatural. I've only ever seen that word written down. Preternatural talent for finding like really talented people. And, and that's, that's like what the whole thing is. Results. 
Yeah. So, so it's, yeah, no, it just was kind of piqued my interest when you mentioned it. Cause it's another sort of like fan service thing to the, whatever, like alt-right Twitter or whatever, for some reason. Well, yeah, they don't, I mean, it would have been, I mean, alt-right Twitter would have gone crazy if they'd really like leaned into like the Laurel Canyon LA like cult stuff and kind of like really actually like tried to gesture at that but they didn't have enough time they only had five hours american horror story does more of that the like alt-right titillation about like uh uh adrenochrome and you know all that kind of uh, you know the last several seasons of american horror story have been very like oh really they like, get da- like dabbling you know q-pilled yeah, they get into some like MK Ultra type stuff. I mean, that would have been the show doesn't even like it doesn't even like begin to touch that at all. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but that's it really. That's that's the whole cold. The one thing you see him do is elect electrocute this this twink who made that music video <laughs> that we won't. We like, won't. Can't they electrocute someone hotter? Like, <laughs> really? I'm this fucking goldfish. <laughs> I know he doesn't for 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 all the talk about his body on Twitter lately. He actually doesn't have an incredible. And body. that's that's the elected representative of cis white gays right now. Just yes, that's him. He is. He's things the... can't. Every time I think things can't get any worse, I find out who Troy Savon is. Or... Well, so this yeah. is another thing that I missed out from gay Twitter. I'm all, I'm like, I, I see it from afar, but it's all still very mysterious. Oh, give but, yourself uh, some credit. He gets a lot of sims because they like, they like hearing his straight voice say gay, gay terms. Yeah. Like, cute. Everyone, Do you post selfies? You'll get some followers that way. <laughs> every, every once in a while, A will, will say something on the pod, like, because I'll make him say it. Like, some, and he'll be like, he'll be like, oh, so this guy was spread his cheeks or something and then he gets like dms from guys that are excited to hear a straight voice oh my god (laughs) i understand that because i started listening to podcasts just to hear like straight men talking in a voyeuristic way so anyway what was your question we've got to provide our little queer bait for the for our simps but um shout out but uh your queer bait is just like saying like spread cheeks and like (laughs) phrases no wonder people think the idol is so sensationally sexual (laughs) um yeah well you got to keep them you know asking for more so you can't like give too much you know but uh what was your question that you were going yeah my question is what was the controversy over that music? They, it was something about like he wasn't fat enough or something. Well, I can I can I can say because I made a what I thought was a joke about it, and I I've never been called a Nazi more than I than this joke I made. But yeah, like the video came out. It's an incredibly multicultural video, in my opinion. And <laughs> there's like trans people, there's disabled people, there's like black people, but the majority of like the dancers are these like skinny little white twinks. Like that's the majority of who's dancing in the, like in the video. And I guess people were like, this is like body fascism to not have plus sized dancers in this video. But my take I guess was like not every video has to be like a representative of like all different types of people like this is like the product this little have representative of normal people everywhere they go they want to see 
exceptionally hot people, you know, spreading their cheeks yeah. on a music video. <laughs> Did you even you watch? pretending like music videos serve some kind of purpose today? <laughs> that this is like this kind of collective delusion that we pretend that these like dead media forms uh, still ha have some kind of like weight to them for this like dead dinosaur industry where nothing is bought, nothing is sold, nothing is produced. Uh, just so like people have something to like be offended at on Twitter and what they're offended at is white hot guys being dancers <laughs> in a gay music video. I just, yeah, that this was, is all that so was... grotesque. I can't even think about it. <laughs> Did you even watch the video, Jack? I'm just curious. No, hell no. I'm not gonna watch this oomphy, <laughs> this oomphy gay zoomer garbage. I'm like so far above all of this bullshit. Like, I don't like I'm not gonna watch, you know, all this shit that these fucking zoomer gays circulate among themselves. Like Kim Petrus, like all this. It, by the time it reaches me, it's all old, but I'm like, this is what y'all like are listening to because your mom, your Gen X mom put you on SSRIs and like, this is the media that you have is like some tranny, like doing an, this kind of like ironic imitation of Britney Spears. Like I'm really proud of you. Songs. I'm really proud of you for not even wasting like, cause I don't even think the song was a full three minutes. So this I'm is really not, none of this is real. Like none of this shit that these oomphies talk about is real. Like I have to say, I'm talking I about the real did... shit, man. I'm talking about scruples by Judith Krantz. I'm talking about <laughs> moving on by Larry McMurtry. I'm talking about Gama the wind. I'm not talking about fucking Troy Sivan, the, goldfish twink who peed his pants on the idol and then got sponge bath by a black guy who didn't rape him <laughs> this is just not even real oh god yeah yeah well that was the that was the controversy i guess we can move on fast but i i think jack said it as best as any of us could say it um, all right, so I spent the day watching <laughs> Adult Jamie. <laughs> so I'm ready to talk about it. It took me probably five hours to finish this three hour movie because I, I, I kept pausing to um, just do various. Look other at your things. phone. Yeah, basically look at my phone, tweet. Um, so I went in, I went in totally blind. Um, <laughs> It was Jack's suggestion. I, I went to Italy, as everyone knows, like, or uh, the listeners. No, not everyone. Our few hundred weekly listeners know that I went to Italy for 10 days. Um, that was Italy. <laughs> and it was great. I loved it. I loved Italy. I loved, uh, I loved Rome. I loved being in Tuscany. It was, you know, obviously, I mean, it's, of course, like, groaning with tourists now. Which actually gave me some, which actually made me kind of love parts of this movie more because it's, I don't know if Italy really was like that in the 50s, but it seemed like way less crowded than like what I witnessed. It's also possible it's like movie magic. Like they cleared out these, you know, like the the scene, just to give an example, the scene where they like go into the Trevi Fountain and like dance around. I was like, the Trevi Fountain felt like the ninth gate of hell, like when I saw it, because it was like, just surrounded by like 10,000 tourists with selfie sticks. You know what I mean? So yeah. to watch this like very romantic kind of like beautiful, like lust for life scene where like no one else is around. I was like, Oh, that's how I wish. 
I had experienced it, you know. Um, but anyway, you know, I... Like, uh, you know, they obviously cleared it out for a movie, but I bet there were about, like, 100 people living in Italy then. So, like, you know... <laughs> Like, was, uh, like was, everywhere was small and there was like 50 people everywhere. So, you know. Well, and it was right after, I guess, like, I did do a little reading about it. It was like pretty close to after the war and Italy had been pretty decimated. So it was supposed to be like, wasn't this supposed to be like the kind of Italy's first like burst of like rebirth, like post-war Italy? It was yeah. And all the Italy movies before this are like, uh, like orphan, like skinny orphans running around going like, mama, me, you know, like, like, Ettore, like this kind of like tales of uh, gritty tales of poor people running around the cobblestone streets. Uh, neorealism is what it was called. And um, this depicted this new, uh, La Dolce Vita depicted this new kind of um, glitterati celebrity class, which watching it now, it's really funny to think that the depiction of this like group of astonishing, amazing people that includes like Nico and Anita Ekberg is supposed to be this like indictment of like shallow. <laughs> celebrity rich people running around who have lost god because i mean that's like that that type of person in like 1960s italy seems like the most like real living vibrant type of person imaginable now um but there's this whole uh wonderful kind of aimless feeling of marcello mastriani being torn between uh, the transitory pleasures of the celebrity class and the his intellectual aspirations um, of you know reading highfalutin literature and writing stuff, and he surrenders to uh, the celebrity class and becomes a, a publicist. And it ends with this wonderful kind of orgy where with the a bunch whole... of openly with a bunch of like openly gay guys, which I honestly like because I went in so blind, I like wasn't expecting it. I was like, oh, all the fags are here all of a sudden. Like Yeah, it was <laughs> censored. I mean it was heavily it was heavily <laughs> censored and it was controversial and it's still like that shocking, uncanny image of him riding that drunk woman that they put <laughs> on the poster. It's really <laughs> shocking. <laughs> It is shocking, and they're, like, throwing all, like, the ripping up the pillows around her. I was just surprised at how openly gay it was when it got to that part. I was like, oh, wow, this is, he's, like, at, like, a gay, like, party. I guess my impression as, like, a first-time watcher who, again, like, read nothing about it before I watched it was, like, I do agree it felt so, um, it made me feel very lighthearted. It made me feel very joyful. I did not get a lot of like, I did not have shallow feelings. I did not like think these people are shallow. In fact, I, I felt watching a lot of the scenes that I wished um, modern celebrities seemed even like an iota, like a, even like a sprinkle of this type of vitality, which seems like completely gone and modern, you know. Oh, absolutely. And it's just a world that you want to live in. Uh, first and foremost, it's a beautiful world you want to live in. And, you know, that's the initial impression you get from the first viewing. Later viewings, you can worry about what it means. 
uh, you know, uh, but. No, I thought it was beautiful. And I, I loved the mix of like, there's celebrities and there's prostitutes and there's like, we're in kind of these like outskirts slum areas. And then we're at these like aristocratic, like, you know, clubs and mansions and things like that. Like I loved kind of all of that. Um, yeah, I thought it was, it, it really, it really felt very vital to me. That was, that's the word I would use. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the, the great classics of world cinema. I remember I first saw it in eighth grade, rented it on VHS from Hollywood video <laughs> and just like puzzled over it for so long and just loved, uh, loved this vibe that was like nothing else I'd ever experienced. I hadn't seen a three hour movie like that. I hadn't seen anything really from that period, except like James Bond movies. Um, it, it was just, just thinking about that movie was such an education in itself. And it's my favorite Fellini because it's the middle point uh, between his early neorealist stuff, uh, which is about like prostitutes and clowns and circus people and his later uh, surreal arty bacchanalia on Star Trek sets like Satyricon and Juliet of the Spirits. And this has this nice blend of both that I don't think is replicated in any of his other movies. Yeah. I don't know anything about Fellini's other movies, so I'm going to take your word on all of that. Um, I've never... Did you... Go ahead. Well, you watched it. Well, well, so, <laughs> well, okay. I, I was like, I tried to watch it. I did. I downloaded the, or the, uh, film box plus seven day free trial. So I put in the work, I will say, but however I was working today. So I kind of like had it on in the background, but like, I don't speak Italian. So I wasn't like fully, fully, you know what I mean? Um, but hey, you're showing out in front of our guests. Just you watch, we watch. <laughs> so you just like press play and essentially like left the room. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's watching the movie. Sure. Yeah. Well, I I do intend to watch it, but I did. Um, I was I was I unlike Q. I did the work that Q didn't do, which was read about Fellini and okay. Uh, yeah, and I've Pulled never up that Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um. But yeah, no, I mean, I thought what I thought was interesting, which I didn't even know if this is any kind type of connection that you have to Fellini, Jack, but um, that he was kind of um, disliked by the political establishment within Italy because he was like, on the one hand, you had it was like post-war or whatever, you know, Gladio and all that, but there were like the two main political forces were like the left, which were the communists. And I think, you know, for obvious reasons, a lot of people didn't like them. And then on the right, you had like the right, far right, whatever, that was kind of more aligned with the Catholic church. And they see, and they both like, didn't, he, he didn't fuck with that on either side. Like he was like anti, um, like, yeah, like authoritarian, like institutions. So I, th I just thought that was interesting and wondered if that um, comes through in like his films at all. Or... His movies have not ever seemed political to me. They, they all operate on such a like personal kind of dreamscape field 
as opposed to other Italian directors like Pasolini, who uh, his early movies were, again, kind of near-realism, beloved by leftists, from what I understand, because they were about uh, downtrodden orphans with bicycles running around in cobblestone streets. Um, I don't understand Italian politics whatsoever, even though I've seen about 500 of these movies. But from what I gather, there were a bunch of communists who wanted everything to be about bedraggled orphans on bicycles running around cobblestone streets and then getting killed at the end of the movie, being martyred over some political cause or whatever. And this like crucifixion symbolism, like uh, Pasolini's uh, Mama Roma uh, they wanted that, and then all these directors spun off into like experimental art territory that was no longer um, the type of politics, political or the type of politics that they wanted to see. Uh, like Solo was ostensibly political in that it <laughs> was like condemning fascism by showing fascists are bad, but what it actually is is pornography, as everyone knows. Um, uh, but no, I I don't I don't know about Fellini's politics. I just uh the movies seem very free of a lot of those obscure Italian political discourse discourses that you see in a lot of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought the movie seemed like essentially apolitical because it doesn't really condemn any anyone. I mean, it could easily condemn like kind of like the aristocracy and like that one scene when they're like up in that palace but it kind of makes them look rad you know even though they're like i mean it looks cool to us now i think there's i think they're supposed to look like gothic and creepy and incestuous um and like this is you know decaying castle aristocracy um but it just looks sick to a modern eye uh, to me, they just looked like super. I was like, oh, they're all laying around. They're so drunk. They've been drinking all day. They're smoking cigarettes. I was like, I don't know. And they're in this like crumbling castle. I was like, this is this is a vibe for sure. This is a big yeah. thing for Italians. Their inscrutable desires, what their inscrutable life, whatever they are in these like decaying castles um, uh, and have these like beautiful lives where they like eat food made of real cream and you know, eat this pasta and never gain any weight and don't have to do anything uh i just saw the leopard visconti's the leopard in the theater this past weekend and that is also about like uh fading aristocracy surrounded by sumptuous beauty that is too good for this modern world so they had they had they feel some type of way about like um uh, baroque gatherings in castles and <laughs> beauty beauty that is too uh too strong and too precious for the corrupt modern world um like antonioni movies always have these like brutalist apartment buildings coming in that's <laughs> supposed to represent how like hollow and awful modernity is but they look like are like masterpieces of architecture now yeah, I mean, even the opening scene where they go to the prostitute's apartment and it's, like, literally flooded, it, like, still kind of had an aesthetic that I enjoyed looking at, you know? Even and, though- How cool is that to just, like, pay a prostitute to, like, fuck on their bed? Like, people <laughs> used to be, like, 
have balls. <laughs> like, who would think to do that now? <laughs> Donald know, they Trump. Just, they, they just needed. <laughs> Yeah, be on the bed. <laughs> they needed a room, and she gave him a room, made him a little coffee for post-sex coffee. Um, but okay, one thing. So, and th- maybe this kind of goes to um, like the kind of the stuff you were mentioning about critics and like liberal backlash and blah blah blah. But I know that this film was controversial at the time it was released and banned from multiple countries and whatnot. Um, but one of the criticisms that was that it was like anti-religious or something. Um, And that was actually something that I didn't really get from the film, which was kind of interesting. Like I, I could understand, like it's like the people don't understand the difference between like depicting something and like endorsing it or, you know what I mean? Like, for, like maybe the orgy thing was like a pretty whatever like out outrageous scene like sacrilegious or whatever. even the even but, the aristocrats go to church in the morning right and and to me it's like with the orgy stuff it wasn't necessarily in my opinion depicting like glamorizing that it was kind of showing it as like sort spiritually pretty empty you know well the movie is showing religion as this lost relic of a lost culture um so marcello searches for meaning in all of these different ways like he has the one friend that he admires who's this like literary salon guy who kills himself uh who seems to have it all has this family uh he kills himself uh religion is just depicted as this commercialized uh fake sort of corporate thing uh in this cynical way uh that for 1960 like we've seen symbolism and messaging of this type for like 70 years now but for 1960 uh showing like uh the that madonna tears uh, section at the beginning where they're like selling you know catholic shit uh and you know the opening shot of the jesus statue being flown by the helicopter it's all kind of heavily implying that uh religion is this bygone relic of an old age that people can no longer reliably turn to and the fish that washes up on shore at the end is this kind of symbol of all of those old traditions that are now dead yeah and there's also the whole middle section a long section about the two kids who see the madonna um la madonna the madonna (laughs) and they're like running back and forth and the people are kind of like following them but it's like it's like kind of just a chaotic like like almost uh stampede type scene where someone actually gets killed Mm -hmm during all of it so you don't so it's like it is interesting that that was like kind of it was showing like religious fervor but it felt very uh kind of violent and like yeah it didn't seem real you know what i mean it seemed like these kids had like worked the crowd up into hysterics but there wasn't any like actual literal religious revelation happening and the the teenage girl at the restaurant on the beach who's like this beaming uh like shining be- angelic beacon of light 
uh, like it's really significant at the end that he sees her across the way, but can no longer communicate with her. He can't hear what she's saying. It's like <laughs> he's spiritually lost and can no longer hear this angel's voice. And that happens yeah, a couple he... times in the movie, right? Where people kind of like can't communicate or understand. Each yeah, other. that like miscommunication thing. Yeah. Well, it starts with that because he's trying to motion at the women on the roof to get the number, but you know, there's no way that they could actually. Mm. It does kind of start with that like we can't hear each other, we can't actually communicate uh, thing. Lots of uh, slapping of women, too, by men, I must say. Oh, yeah. He slaps them around. He's <laughs> uh, he's really dreamy in this, uh, of course. You know, like, it's the sky blue. Um, it's just a world that you want to live in, and you want to be Marcello running around at night, smoking cigarettes. What did you think of Anita Ekberg? Which one is she? The, the Swedish blonde. actress? The blonde, yeah. yeah. I loved her so much. <laughs> Isn't she amazing? Isn't she the most beautiful woman that ever she's, lived? She's so beautiful. I loved the scene when they were asking her all the questions and how every single one of her answers is just is incredible. And they're like, uh, I remember, I, I, of course, as a gay man, I kind of like, uh, and, you know, maybe some of my haters will be like, this is like closeted trans uh, wishing or something. But like, I imagined myself in like her position and like, how she's just like zinger, 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 zinger. No, like that's the just... natural order of things from before trans shit existed is gay men uh, psychically right. transmuting themselves <laughs> into divas' bodies. That's the natural order. Of course, of course. It doesn't make me trans. But I've just, I, I, that's exactly what I was imagining. Like how like fun it would be to have all that attention on you. And, uh, and honestly, like I kind of thought it was like some of the, uh, some of the slapping and stuff, I, I I was a little bit like, as someone who's like kind of a little bit um, slaps know, women. I don't slap women. I want to be slapped by a kind of like straight guy when I'm like, <laughs> like when I'm like freaking out. You know what I mean? Like when I'm having like a total irrational like you know, which happens to me sometimes. Like a total, I'm just in my emotions. My logic is gone. <laughs> We're plumbing the depths of gay psychology here. Yeah, yes. it would be great you if you all want to be slapped or worse by straight men. Killed, yeah, you know, slapped, slapped killed, slapped body disposed body. of in a ditch, pissed on, <laughs> I body just, cut up, put I in just, a bathtub full of lime. It just knocks you back into snap like reality. Out of it, yeah. yeah, it's like snap out of it. You're fine. Everything's oh. fine. That's why everything sucks now is because no one is slapping anyone out of it. I mean, women yeah. don't even, I guess, like, I guess you can slap a man if you're a girl because there's no consequences to anything you do if you're a girl. But who does? No one. I've, ha I've heard girls say there was this scene in Yellow Jackets, which, may which maybe neither of you saw, but uh, this one character tries to walk away from a guy and he grabs her and pulls her, turns her back around and is like, no, the conversation's not over. Um, and a lot of my girlfriends said they thought that was hot. Well, yeah, this used to be standard <laughs> stuff on like all watch Melrose play soap opera and they like sh shake the women by the arms, you know, yeah. like, grab their arms. Like, hey, don't you walk away from me, you know? But now a guy, now a guy would never do that. Even because... like Fifty Shades of Grey, making it super explicit, you know. Yeah, I mean, 
Fifty Shades of Grey is just this kind of like bureaucratic organization of <laughs> women's forbidden uh, rape fantasies. Like I were I edited uh, erotic fiction, erotic ebook fiction for three years, and it was all the kind oh, of like wow. Fifty Shades type stuff. And what that is is like romance novels before the two thousands used to just have straight up rape scenes in them <laughs> you know like but then it that became forbidden and so it had to be transmogrified through this bureaucracy of snm and consent yeah. uh, so like it's actually empowering for you to be in touch with your <laughs> desire to be tied up by a rich man and not have to work and it has to you know they just have to play this trick of the mind where they think that it's actually girl bossing for them to just like want what everyone wants which is like to be with a rich man who fucks you and not have to work but yeah. they have to be like this is me this is like my empowerment journey like <laughs> doesn't 50 i've never seen it but doesn't 50 shades of start, start with a, a like a large document signing situation yeah i mean that's eroticism today. <laughs> <Yeah>. signing, <laughs> signing documents signing but like not even like paper like the e-sign thing that people email you it's like hi jack attached you'll find the contract yeah yeah i just i i've, I've heard that it starts with like a big like negotiation no, i still haven't seen it because i i don't want to watch it alone but like nobody will watch it with me my boyfriend <laughs> won't watch 50 shades of gray with me <laughs> like nobody uh yeah and it's never the time i never like wake up and feel like today i would finally watch the 50 shades of gray trilogy because i know what it contains which is like almost no sex you know because <laughs> it came out pretty recently so now it's I feel guilty because my, my boyfriend tried to get me to watch it with him, and I was like, I don't want to watch that crap, but maybe I yeah, should. Yeah, I guess just gay couples are all punishing each other by one of them not wanting to watch Fifty <laughs> Shades of Grey, so it's yeah. happening all over the world. I was going to say, Q doesn't want to watch that crap. <laughs> you went to see Why? Avatar 2. I want to watch everything bad. I don't like, there's, the, you know... Okay, I... First off, I do watch everything. I fit, I go to the movies like three times a week. Second off, I did pay $25 to see Avatar 2 at Alamo Draft <laughs> That's House. the only thing too bad for me. Yeah, and I and I walked out. I walked out after 30 minutes because I couldn't. That's garbage. Walk. That's the only movie too bad for even me. But literally. this week I've seen, I'm not even kidding, I saw Wicker Man at the oh. IFC. That was sick. That movie was scary. That, yeah. it, was, it was very scary. I, I'd <laughs> seen it before, but I'd never seen it on screen, so I wanted to see Michael it. Michael Hoffman Bar talks about that book. Or, uh, it's, I love I love it. I, and then I saw Barbie. I saw Oppenheimer. And then I also went with a friend. I can't believe she dragged me to this, but I went. I went with a friend to see Lakota Nation, <laughs> which was this <laughs> documentary oh, about God. Native Americans getting their land taken away. Um that she sounds was, awful. That sounds like old school lib, like watching was, documentaries was, about was, Indians. It's very old school lib. And my friend was like sobbing during it, but I was like, I made her sit in the back so at least I could hit my elf bar the whole time. 
Um, Except this yeah. time they're all wearing masks at the protest. Yeah, that was the thing. That was the craziest thing. Of course, thing. the Indians were wearing masks. That, that made me, that made me laugh the hardest because they're in all these protest scenes and they all have they're masks all, like, on. And I was like, they're wearing, wearing their lip tied masks because they know where the money is. I was like, the white man got you again. Ooh, <laughs> minorities all still wear the masks. <laughs> Anyway, I, I, I see him piling out of the van going into Walmart with the, you know, <laughs> Tweedledee, Tweedledum sets of masks. Will you, I know you're, will you go see Oppenheimer or Barbie? You're so into film. Um, I'm not excited for either, but I will uh, go see them. Like, um, I'm pretty sure Barbie is going to be really bad because Greta Gerwig is one of the worst directors working and lady bird and little women were two of the most like milk toast bland um uh tortured chamber fake movies of the 2010s so i can't see anything uh surprising happening there but as always now i can't sift through the willful contrarianism and the memes i there's not like a a a taste maker that i trust with their movie opinions so i have to go fucking see it for myself and find out whether it's good or not and that's how i ended up at fucking avatar the sound of water or whatever it is because there were so many people pretending it was good on the internet but barbie's i'm guessing what it is is just like a waffly kind of non-committal vaguely internet-y sort of feminist dissertation on how like a kind of bros type thing with they're like white gays are bad we know like barbie is bad we know like is that what it is it's kind of like that i will say the one thing that surprised me is there's a whole do you care about i don't think i could spoil this no i don't spoilers are no no. like there is this whole story arc where the, the the so the kens and barbie world are oppressed at the beginning of the movie and then the Kens discover that in the real world, men aren't just like servants to women. Like men have jobs too and stuff like that. So the Kens go back and they try to make Barbie world into like Ken world. And then like kind of the lesson, I guess, well, there's Barbie's personal journey, which is a whole separate thing. But the lesson is that like, we need to make a world that works for both Kens and Barbies. Okay. What's funny about this movie is that all the people going to see it are just like cow people that are going to see it because they like Barbie because it's pink and girly. But they're going to see this whatever like internet-y upper class white woman dissertation on gender or something. But the people like I've, I've literally heard like big fat cow people talking about Barbie wearing Barbie shirts because of this Barbie movie coming out. So it's really funny that it's just like the Marvel movie crowd piling out of their vans with their masks on going to see this because it's pink and says Barbie on it. Yeah. I mean, my advice, I don't know if you smoke a weed or anything like that, but my advice is to like go and just kind of watch it like a child watches something like just, I have low, low standards. Basically, <laughs> um okay every movie i go see it's like some it's like a backdrop for them to serve me loaded fries in front of uh yeah. and every single movie now is 
slow burn art horror with a female protagonist. Um, and so if a movie happens to not be slow burn art horror with a female protagonist drinking wine, then it gets a couple of points automatically with me. Um, but that's getting harder and harder to find. And the number of slow burn wine horror movies about women drinking wine and jogging pants as some psychological threat that comes out in the last 10 minutes looms over them. Uh, I feel like I've seen about like maybe 500 of those movies. I mean, you in the have. last 10 years. Yeah. Ever since, ever since gone girl, that's been like, that's been yeah. Like with the, and they, they all star a woman who's like about 46 years old, but she's like <laughs> athletic and uh, you know, she doesn't wear makeup cause she's upper class <laughs> and she can't appear threatening, so they get like a kind of uh, who's that woman who I like is an actor from Vicky Cristina Barcelona, that British woman who's like not threateningly attractive. They get her to be in all of them. Rebecca <laughs> Hall, okay, she is like skinny, uh, doesn't have much makeup on. Uh, none of the women in the audience are threatened by her beauty. You know, you know Rebecca Hall's half black. What? Not. Yeah. N- Wait, Rebecca Hall. Are we talking about the same one? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm talking about this British ass woman. No, I know. <laughs> this like sure. British white woman that's in wine horror movies. <laughs> She's not half black. Yeah, her, her mom <laughs> is, is black. She is. She is. Check. I found this. I found this out about her. That was... toothy British woman with the long neck. <laughs> so I found this out about her, and it shocked me because she directed Passing, that Netflix movie, which was actually really bad. But the book Passing, I think, is actually really good. But Passing the... was cool. Yeah, yeah I like that book. Cool. But she, but she directed Passing, the Netflix adaptation. And I was like, why did they choose this white woman to direct Passing? And then I looked and I, I found out that she is half black. Her mom is a famous opera singer who was a black woman born in Detroit, Michigan, who moved to um, London and married her dad. I know it's shocking, but it's still only like she's only like black on a technicality. Like she doesn't <laughs> not black. I know what black is with my own eyes, and we all do. But you know, uh, okay. So yeah, the that's another reason she's in these uh, jogging right, pants right. wine horror movies. <laughs> no, it's uh, she's really good in. Uh, have you seen Christine about Christine Chubbuck, the news? reporter who blew her brains out on the air in the 70s no i haven't seen that. that's good she's good in that but she's fallen into this wine horror slump no i i know the most recent one you're talking about where she's like in some like lake house or whatever and she's there's that one there's about (laughs) three of them a year there's that the, the lake house one is the better one and then there's another one that's like cronenberg like Cronenberg, what's it called? It was really, oh, it was it was like all like trying to be possession. You're not even wrong because I'm literally reading the titles of her last couple movies. There was Resurrection, Psycho. <laughs> yeah, that's the possession one I, where I it's like where it's like one, slow burn body yeah, horror inspired by called, possession. There's one called The Listener, also <laughs> says psychological horror. Yeah, Let me guess. She's wearing gray jogging pants, <laughs> angrily jogging, comes in, slams a glass of wine, 
<laughs> thinks about something that happened with her mother who's now dead. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, the, also the sex scenes in the wine horror movies are are my favorite because they can't like show women being sexual or giving any pleasure to men. So they just have them like on top, kind of like angrily jacking themselves off and then they tell the guy to leave immediately afterward and that means that they're a girl boss in the wine horror universe is that they're not like doing anything to pleasure the guy <laughs> that type of sex scene is so prominent in movies it's so true it's, that's all they do and they show women getting eaten out like that's the only you can't show blowjobs because that's degrading to women so they just you know, show women angrily getting eaten out as if anybody <laughs> finds that so pleasurable <laughs> You know what cracks me up about you saying that? And again, I don't think this spoils anything, but there's literally a scene in Oppenheimer that's exactly what you described. It's Florin Pugh riding Killian Murphy. She's completely unfocused on Killian Murphy. And she's and like, then, I just thought of the nuclear codes. Get away from me. Like and, she like, and then she like rolls off, lights a cigarette, and she's like, get out. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all of them. That's all the sex scenes. <laughs> And I'm like, God, is this what like is this what heterosexual sex is like? It seems really harrowing for the men. I don't know what the reality of it is like. I just imagine. I don't know. I hope it's over quick. If that's what it's like, <laughs> I hope it takes about a minute. Oh my God! Yeah, that was another big thing about Oppenheimer that everyone's mad at. They're like, there's so many white men in it, and I'm like, well, that's that's who was. That's who was doing the atomic bomb stuff. I don't know what to tell you guys. I think they should have just changed all the white men to women of color and just made it hidden figures too. <laughs> I think was, that would have been equally profitable. I also was just cracking up about it because it's like, it was everyone who's was, or most of the people who were on the Manhattan Project were Jewish. And I'm like, I don't know, guys, there's a whole other angle where it's like all these Jewish people trying to like defeat Hitler. You could look at it like that. You could like try to do that. You know what I mean? Like, I don't people know. People don't go for like Jew stuff anymore. Like World War II, like Holocaust. That doesn't, Jews look too white. So it's, you know, that, that does not compare. Like the concentration camps do not compare to the plight of the strong woman of color who doesn't want people to touch her hair. No. And they don't like movies like Oppenheimer because it makes Jews seem too smart, which I think stresses out the populace. <laughs> so they have to kind of like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. They don't really make movies about Jews. You're right though. They, but they just no. leave it to Kanye like ranting about that. Like <laughs> well, they do like all the like female comedians are like, I'm a Jewish bra, like that kind yeah. of, yeah. You know, like the like frizzy haired on a bicycle, like I'm just Jewish. That kind of like broad city thing that's still around. Yeah. 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 I farted. I took an edible. Like <laughs> <laughs> that really that really sums up broad city pretty well. And there were the um, uncut gems. Jewish. Oh yeah, uncut gems. <laughs> which got accused of anti Semitism. Oh, did it? Yeah, even though... But, like, by who, though? Like, who is... Like, is this, like, three trannies online? Or, like, oh, I someone mean, yeah, real? I guess so. I mean, it couldn't have like, been... that's just movie. not real. Like, that's, if you're a tranny online, you're just, like, not real. It couldn't have been a more Jewish production. It was, like, all... It was, like, written, directed... People don't care about Jews anymore. That's what I... That's, like, that's... They're too trained to only care about these maudlin... Uh, they tried to get Black Kanye. people problems. 
They tried to get Kanye with the anti-Semitism. What yeah. is he doing these days? He's married to that fake Kim. Well, he disappeared after this uh, anti-Semitism. Well, music. I can't. Like, it was embarrassing for everyone. But, like, really, like, he's gonna do that. And he goes to Milo and Nick Fuentes. <laughs> and not just, like, go on Red Scare. Like, how bad is his taste level? How out of it? All he had to do was, like, go on Red Scare. That's the conservative thing happening right now. Like, yeah, he's supposed to be Kanye. Like, Yeah, well, he the, linked like, up with the other, like, knows confused about gay, like, what, like, conservative crew, you know? He he's definitely, he definitely is, like, a, like, he definitely has, like, repressed gay issues, I think, Kanye. Does it? I don't, I mean, I can't, I can't. I can't really imagine him having sex with anyone, but... Well, you know the big rumor... Okay, I guess I'll just go ahead and, like, uh, just get into Kanye for a minute. The big rumor <laughs> was that he has dated both Jeffree Star and Amanda Lepore. So he kind of likes this, like, tranny mm. thing. Mm. Interesting. I don't, and that's, that's just not... That's not that exciting. I don't know. Like what it's does date? What? How does one date Amanda Lepore? Like <laughs> pose for a picture? Like Jeffrey Star sucks you off because he's one of the like predatory like OG like MySpace. Like I like Jeffrey Star. Like you know, get the bag, suck off the straight guys. Like that's what he's done for like twenty years. But I like Jeffrey Star too. I just saying that they have both. They've both like vaguely been like linked to Kanye. But like Amanda Lepore, it's just like you. What just gonna stand there? <laughs> I couldn't it's not, I honestly like a real just person. thought that Kanye was like obviously secretly gay. I for, like that was my understanding was just like the culture believed that, but I could be just a hundred percent wrong. I <laughs> get it. I don't. I think he's so secretly gay. He probably wouldn't ever necessarily completely act on it. But every time I hear him talk. I can't believe how straight up gay he sounds. Yeah, he sounds um, really gay. And then, like, you're on a private jet with Nick Fuentes and Milo Yiannopoulos. <laughs> I mean, it's like. And you're married to Kim, who, like, you're not going to be, like, having wild straight people sex with Kim. Kim's no, just going to be there, like, that. on her phone or getting plastic surgery or, you know. I, I have a theory that, like, I don't even, I don't, I mean, I could be wrong. A, you could answer this for us, but, like, I have this theory that, like, I don't even think straight guys like think Kim Kardashian's like that hot. I would agree. He's like a gay guy's <laughs> idea of like a hot woman. Right. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> absolutely like no straight guy on earth would say that Kim is hot. What straight guys find hot is that like brunette unthreatening girl next door. Totally. Like every, marriage material. Every straight guy like, isn't that much of a slut. Every straight guy I've ever had this conversation <laughs> with says Courtney is Courtney's the one that they would want to fuck if they could fuck. Anyone. I mean, like no straight guy would get with a woman who's like made a sex tape ever. They're like super sensitive about if a woman <laughs> has ever like had sex with anyone else, much less taped it. For attention, especially, especially with a black guy with a huge dick, that would be yeah. They're super, super. <laughs> super I was gonna say spooked, but you know. 
All right. Well, do you have any? Uh, do you have any last? Uh, I, I don't last thoughts, Jack. I guess we don't. We we could have you t- tell tell everyone where to find you. Even though I think all our listeners are going to know where to find you. But give us. Um, the- I'm at Patreon.com/slash/PerfumeNationalist. Yes, you should listen to Jack's uh, podcast, and he's on Twitter as well. I think at what is it? Lotus underscore underscore point. Lotus underscore underscore point. Um, Yeah, and thanks for coming on. We'll have you back on soon. Bye, everybody. Thanks for having me.